You are listening to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast, the number one wellness podcast designed to provide the latest information to help you achieve your health and wellness goals. Our show features exciting guests, the latest in medical research, and in-depth discussions in current trends on weight loss, nutrition, and fitness. No matter what your interest, the Health and Wellness Podcast has you covered. And now, presenting your illustrious host, Dr. Barry, MD. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Connection. This is your host, Dr. Barry Iruke, and I am so excited that you decided to join us again for another episode of the Health and Wellness Connection. Again, just to let you know, guys, let you guys know what we're doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, I'm uh, Dr. Barry. I'm a health and wellness physician as well as an emergency physician uh, for over a decade, and uh, working hard to provide the top tier uh, research-backed health and wellness information just to help you improve your health and wellness. Now, that being said, we do try to, you know, reach a number of areas, including um, nutrition, um, wellness, holistic medicine. And we look for research that kind of backs up, you know, some of the important concepts we try to stress on this show, including the importance of, you know, looking at what you eat and your nutrition and, you know, mental health and, and just understanding, you know, what is important as far as what you should be involving yourself in to make sure you're maximizing your health and wellness. Now, that being said, you know, I'm not saying that you can't have a, you know, a greasy burger here or some dessert there. And I'm a fan of all those things, but it's all about balance. It's all about important decisions and just kind of making sure you're, you're, you're doing what you need to to improve your health and wellness over the long term. Because it's all about day to day, you know, struggles to improve your long term outlook on life. So that being said, we're going to talk about some of the latest research that's really been kind of popping um, and really in the news uh, now since uh, we took July 4th off. So didn't have any um, show last week, but seems like a bombshell happened over that period. Uh, first and foremost, those who are in the United States of America um, celebrated the July 4th holidays. That is the day that um, is celebrates the freedom and the, uh, the liberties that are provided in the United States of America. Of course, July 4th is Independence Day here, and this is a, usually a celebratory day, but the mood has been muted uh, this year um, due to some recent issues that have happened on the judicial stand front. Now, I think the biggest thing that um, kind of happened um, in between the last show and this one was that a long-term legal um, judgment known as Roe versus Wade, which essentially um, provided assured the rights for Americans to have access to abortion services. Now, apparently, um, this has been a big issue as far as having the right to have access to an abortion, and many um, groups throughout the country has really been against this concept. Now, I'm pretty simple. I'm, I'm of the belief that if you don't want abortion, simply don't have one. I mean, abortions aren't being forced on people, um, but that being said, I guess some people feel that even the availability of, of an abortion is a problem. So they've been fighting to remove that. And over this past week, they actually were successful. Meaning that this July 4th was one of the few times that Americans have actually lost rights during this month as opposed to gaining rights. So it's been a kind of a weird, um, sour mo moment in the country. That being said, some people are very excited and very happy 
about abortion rights being limited in many states in the country. And uh, as a result, there's been a lot of back and forth, and a lot of uh, issues uh, in this area. Now, that being said, you know, this is not really a political show here. Um, so we don't really focus on the politics. You know, we do we have to comment on them because politics do affect health and wellness. As we know, with COVID last year was a pretty dramatic period where politics and health and wellness were, were really kind of tied together very closely. But that being said, this is really a health issue as well. And um, this is kind of what, you know, me as a physician are, are, are really concerned about because one thing about, about abortion is that uh, while it's been turned into this emotional kind of religious thing, ultimately it's actually a medical issue and that's one thing that actually was the center of the initial Roe versus Wade um, argument. It was between um, a physician and their patient and it was believed that you know the physician technically has the right to determine you know whether or not it's necessary and if they feel comfortable they can proceed with it um, and the state should have no involvement in that. Now some people believe that the state should be involved and it's kind of funny because other areas, these same people also claim the state should stay the hell away, quote unquote. So there's a lot of picking and choosing when and when the state should and shouldn't be involved in people's medical decisions. I'm sure you guys were just here when we had a huge issue about the vaccine and some people, you know, requesting they be forced people to take it and others saying, no, we shouldn't be forced and this and that. And now when it comes to this, people are now. You know, it's kind of like almost a flip side. <laughs> the same people arguing to be forced in one situation are now arguing to stay away and vice versa. So it's just a lot of confusion. And this is why I believe that um, medical decisions should stay between physicians and their uh, patients as well as. And then other legal legal issues can, you know, stay between the judge and, and it's, and it's um, um, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know what the, what's the term for someone who's being judged. I guess judges, I guess, whatever. Either way. You know, it gets kind of dicey when you're in the medical um, decision realm as a as a legal person trying to influence what happens. And I think that can lead to a lot of bad things going on, mainly because when it comes to medical, it's a very specialized condition. Many times people perform abortions for medical reasons. Um, sometimes, again, people perform them, you know, for, for social reasons. And, it, and it's unfortunate, but it happens. But that being said, um, in the United States of America, it's technically illegal to do whatever is medically necessary for whatever reason as long as you have someone who's performing it with medical knowledge so that you can do it safely and that's the main thing and so ultimately there's a lot of issues let's talk a little bit about the the whole decision and how what happened and what happened exactly in a nutshell um the court um that was actually written um, by the majority um again who wrote the majority sorry was justice samuel alito he said that the 1973 ruling, um, he felt, must be overturned because things were egregiously wrong and that the arguments in this ruling were exceptionally weak. These are his terms. And, you know, there's a lot of really kind of inflammatory language, very, uh, you know, emotional, which is kind of shocking given the fact that a judge is supposed to be very impartial and be following the Constitution. But instead, it seems like a lot of personal kind of um, opinions were injected, you know, almost from an emotional standpoint. So it's pretty, it's pretty shocking that, you know, the court has become, you know, so, you know, far, you know, right wing. And same thing that is also interesting was that a lot of the people who, you know, were in favor um, as well of the, uh, the favor of removing this Roe versus Wade uh, or abortion rights um, were 
replaced by a lot of the um, you know Republican presidents, and that's also another reason why it's been another very political thing because people believe that this issue has been the main issue all these justices have been selected on, and it's unfortunate that you know medical issues like this becomes the center of everyone's concern, and everything else that we're dealing with in, the, in this country is almost being ignored, and it's, and it's kind of unfortunate, but. That being said, um, you know, between Justice Alito and Justice Clarence Thomas, and that's something we're going to talk about a little bit more because he actually wrote some things that are just flat out incorrect. And this also just leads to more of the reason why lawyers, judges should not be making medical decisions. And uh, it's shocking that this is actually a published actual um, published actual uh, opinion that Clarence Thomas wrote regarding his reason why he was voting in favor of removing abortion rights. He literally stated in his opinion that um, because he stated that many people objected on religious grounds to um, the COVID-19. Remember COVID-19 now, that's one thing we were fighting here, misinformation, but how people were spreading lies about COVID-19 and what it's from, who it came from, even the vaccine was considered this and all this stuff and a lot of just straight up misinformation. And people like to believe what they like to believe and not necessarily what's true. That's one thing you have to realize, and that's one thing I realize this position that people like to believe what they like to believe, not necessarily what's the fact. So you have to kind of convince people to believe the facts. And the fact of the matter is, um, there is no COVID-19 vaccine ever that has ever been created that was derived from the cell lines of aborted children. This is something that Dr. <laughs> I don't know if he's a doctor, but Clarence Thomas, or I should call him Clay Clay in this point, because I don't know this dude should be given. <laughs> Given any more respect, it, 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 let me not say that because I think we still respect our elders. And Clarence Thomas, someone who you know has done a lot, you know, and he was you know put on the highest core of the land, so he deserves some respect. But when you're just writing incorrect things and decisions that are affecting millions, I mean, I think it's a little bit disrespectful to the people to not have done your research before you actually stated this. And he stated, in his opinion, that people object on religious grounds to all available COVID-19 vaccines because they were developed from developed using cell lines derived from aborted children. So, and that's just flat out incorrect. There's no COVID-19 vaccine that has ever been created from aborted children. This is just another fear-mongering tactic to make people think abortion is so demonic because they're taking the fetuses and they're creating mutant babies and stop it. I mean, this is not, has never been sanctioned by any entity that I'm aware of. I've been in all the kind of research fields. And this is something that's more, I think, promoted, used to promote an anti-science mentality amongst people who just want to be in their feelings. It's like, let's kind of avoid this because this is what leads to a regression in society. And when, when people start embracing magical thought, rejecting kind of research, actually looking at the facts and looking at the science to make their decisions, you start to get, you know, a lot of regressive, regressive movements in your society. And that's something that has improved many times in the past. So... Um, and it's, it's disappointing that this is someone who's on the highest core of the land, who's writing literally something that's, you know, on the same level of what you would find in, in a in a in a um, random Facebook post. I mean, he's literally the same level of research is being done. You know, it's just it's, it's pathetic, and it's, it's unfortunate that um, this is what we have to deal with as citizens in uh, the United States of America. That being said, um, so you know, because people like um, Clarence Thomas and Alito and and and, and um, Edwards. The, uh, the chief justice. Um, it's you know it's unfortunate that they felt that Roe versus Wade was something that needed to be removed, as opposed to being uh, strengthened. And my position personally is more so you know people 
should stay out of the relationship between a physician and their patient. That's pretty much what I believe. And uh, if you're anti-abortion, and I definitely respect that, I think abortion can definitely be uh, problematic if you're a, a follower of a certain face or maybe even your culture is anti the concept, and that's fine. Um, but I think that people should have the right to decide what they want to do. And if they decide to, to do that, they shouldn't be vilified or attacked and uh, made um, mockery of. I think people should be allowed to, again, do what they feel is best. And they should be working with a physician or someone who's who's medically capable of, you know, enabling them to do what they feel like doing safely. So that being said, um, this Roe vs. Wade has been a real um, dramatic episode here in the United States and obviously there's many other people looking to, to challenge this new ruling and uh, this will be probably another 10-year issue and this is just unfortunate where many other countries have moved past this and they're moving on to bigger and, and more important issues this becomes still 50 years later we're still going back and forth about abortion but um, one more thing about abortion we we'll move on to the next topic is that you know this unfortunately will affect um, um, a lot of uh, minorities especially black women um, disproportionately Primarily because many of the states where you know abortion rights are going to be limited due to now new measures being put on by the various states regarding this issue, it'll probably result in more black women being unable to you know get an abortion if they choose to do so. Usually, because many of these states are in the South, um, it'll require a lot of financial um, commitments, meaning driving miles away to different states if you want to get an abortion in a lot of times they're being put in time timed um, availability clauses where you have to get you know after a certain like six weeks i think in texas where you're not allowed to get an abortion if you do um you know want one past six weeks um things like that are being put in different areas some places even the um, plan b pill is being banned uh, and this is to me is pretty outrageous because it takes about six to seven days for uh, an egg to implant in the uterus and actually become a viable fetus. So plan B is designed between 24 to 48 hours. And even the further after the act you take it, the less effective it is. And that's technically preventing any kind of fetus to being created. But again, the legal people who are just making these laws don't know this stuff. So they just pass things based on emotion, not based on facts. And it's unfortunate because people, you know, um, there's researchers and scientists who are actually creating these things and they're doing a lot of very innovative um, um, techniques to figure these things out and it seems someone who has a fraction of a knowledge is able to just kind of cancel all that because of whatever their specific beliefs are irrespective of the people who are actually being um, subject to these rules so it's just unfortunate guys but you know I'm sure there'll be more people fighting this and, and there will be some changes but as a physician definitely I think that again the legal courts should stay out of the patient-physician relationship and that's just I think the best way to keep um, everyone kind of, you know, moving in the direction they choose to move. All right, guys. So let's move on. Um, a lot of also interesting topics in the meet in the news today, guys. Um, all right, guys. So the next story I wanted to talk about today um, was an interesting um, study that kind of looked at cannabis use. Now, cannabis use is something that you know I've sp spoken about in the past. Um, I think that uh, with the laws are heading toward the direction of legalization. Many states have looked at medical cannabis use as something that it should be allowed for citizens. Um, you know, I've actually, you know, researched this quite as 
quite a bit as well. And I definitely agree with the concept that there are many um, effective uses, especially medically for cannabis use. And as a result, there's some interesting now research being put out, um, just trying to kind of look closer into cannabis, especially as the laws regarding research are being uh, um, looking to be relaxed so there could be more intensive research done. But in the meantime, there's some retrospective studies where they're looking at data collected in the past and looking at how potentially cannabis use has affected people and whether or not it's a good or a bad thing. And one interesting story came out recently, put out by the BMJ Open Restore Research, and they were actually looking at cannabis use. They were trying to see if there was association between cannabis use and increased um, increased respiratory issues, especially uh, people going to the hospital looking for respiratory help, meaning they had some cough, cold issues, shortness of breath problems, maybe linked to cannabis. They were trying to find basically smokers and looking at that group versus non-smokers and seeing if there was an increase in um, respiratory issues in those people who were smokers, specifically of cannabis. Now, those who smoked cigarettes were removed actually, so it was actually, look at that cannabis. So it was actually a very good study in my opinion because number one, the study was quite large. They looked at, and it had a large time frame to look at too. Basically looked at the period between January 2009 to December of 2015. Looked at about 35,000 patients. So pretty decent size. You know, with research, the bigger the number of people, the stronger and more, you know, valuable the information becomes because it helps kind of make it less um, biased and you kind of, you know, basically get a better average of what could likely happen. Um, so they looked at a, a decent sized study and they found that um, they looked at people again who went to the emergency room in this group, compared the smokers versus the non-smokers. And I found that um, people who were going to the ER in this group there really wasn't a difference in the smoking group versus the non-smoking group as far as respiratory related issues like shortness of breath severe coughing i mean the, you know the general concept is that those who were smokers are probably going to have more respiratory problems right now we know this is true for smokers of tobacco that is definitely true but for cannabis this study found there was really no significant difference as far as emergency related visits now that being said um you know it was found that though people who did smoke had a higher use of the emergency room just for all uses or they had just more usage of the ER, not necessarily due to respiratory problems. So it was a very interesting kind of twist that was found after the data was really analyzed. So the, again, the researchers had an assumption that people who smoke would probably have more respiratory problems. But what they actually found was that there was really no difference in the amount of respiratory issues that people in these groups went to the emergency room for. However, those who did smoke tend to have more visits to the ER for just other random stuff. And it's kind of funny when you look at what they actually found, what those who were in the smoking group tend to end up in the ER for. And of course, 15% um, of them was due to acute trauma. So <laughs> if you're smoking and doing some sort of operation of heavy machinery, maybe falling down because you're not really balanced, that could probably that was actually the issue. You, not, you know, so you got to sit down somewhere, especially if you're smoking something that you're not really familiar with. And that's something that, you know, especially those from legal states should hopefully be working with um, their um, local providers and understanding what they're buying. And if you're smoking something in the legal states, some random stuff, you know, <laughs> pookie or somebody sold you <laughs> and you don't know what it's sprayed with or what it's dipped in, you're just really playing Russian roulette. So I advise you to not do that. And uh, hell, if you really need to smoke, go to a legal state and buy something from a dispensary as opposed to buying it from the random person. But either way, 
you know, so people who were um, smoking, 50% for acute trauma, so definitely an issue there. 14% um, were due to respiratory issues, so yes, that was actually the amount they found in the non-smoking group as far as respiratory issues. So kind of funny or interesting how there wasn't really a huge spike in that number in the smoking group. So interesting point there. And then 13% were due to gastro gastrointestinal issues. So vomiting, you know, diarrhea, issues like that, stomach pain. That was really the big three issues. People went to their local emergency rooms in the smoking group. Now, of course, they found that actually people who were, you know, in the ER the biggest problem or the biggest group were those who were using edibles. This is why edibles is something that needs to be very careful. If you're someone who likes to use edibles, you know, you want to be very careful how you ingest them because uh, with edibles, getting the dosages you may consume may not be safe or may not be something you can tolerate. And if you ingest a large amount of cannabis related products, you know, you can definitely get nausea, vomiting, you know, some sort of, you know, disorientation issues. So you got to be careful. Um, cannabis still is um, has some some issues as far as you know it's it's a very potentially potent medication that needs to be probably used in conjunction with the help of a clinician or, or someone who's who can educate um, the user on what to be um, careful when using that medication. So ultimately, um, you know, it was kind of interesting that respiratory issues were really weren't found as far as being significantly more increased. Um, and those who smoked, however, they definitely had more reasons to go to the ER. It seems like trauma was the biggest issue. So I think that just kind of, you know, stresses the importance of using cannabis and other agents that can alter your sensorium in a safe manner. Definitely don't do not want to be operating heavy machinery or driving, things like that. But that being said, um, so this study was kind of interesting. So check that out, guys. Um, I'll post a lot of these research articles. Um, on my Facebook actually um, so check for that uh, we'll make sure we get that up for you guys as well so you can look at that later alright guys so the next topic I want to discuss is briefly going to be about um, our old friend COVID-19 uh, the thing about COVID it's um, you know unfortunately still a thing ironically it's actually seen to increase during the summer months which is kind of flipped from influenza which is usually bigger in the fall but COVID is almost like a year round, but it's kind of spikes in the summer, it seems like, and actually is kind of hanging around in the fall. And as a result, there's been a lot of concern regarding the vaccine and whether or not a fourth vaccine may be something that may be um, an ideal kind of thing to do. Now, that being said, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. Obviously, people are saying this is not necessary um, and that, you know, vaccine fatigue is a real thing. People are just really tired of vaccines and the whole discussion and of the whole uh, concept. But there's been some state, some, some people saying that, um, you know, COVID-19 vaccination is still effective against Omicron. However, um, it seems like the effectiveness is only lasting about two or three months in people. Um, so, and people are actually still getting sick despite the booster and everything else. Um, so it's kind of really a lot of controversy because some people are arguing that it doesn't really help. So what's the point? But some people are saying that, you know, there's definitely some, some, some improvement as far as the people dying from COVID. Um, you know, one thing I can definitely say is that the very sick people who are like, have a lot of risk factors are definitely benefiting from the vaccine as far as their, you know, issues with COVID, you know, without the vaccine, a lot of these people were getting very sick for dying very easily. Um, with just some very, um, very, you know, fairly well controlled chronic illnesses. So, um, the booster has definitely helped. I mean, the vaccine has helped those people as far as who have chronic underlying illnesses. 
um, not have the real severe um, issues with COVID like they did with the first wave. So that being said, people are stating that because of the low um, or the only brief um, period of uh, immunity that seems to be getting conferred with a booster, that maybe a fourth um, booster will be needed. And that was probably something that should be done in the fall. And it's still, again, back and forth. I can definitely say, though, that if there is a booster, um, it should not be um, it should not be forced on people. People should have, definitely have a choice. Um, and that thing is about the thing. The whole thing about vaccination is that um, I think for COVID is definitely helping. But of course, the research is not out on any long term effects because it has been out for long enough. But we do know that the numbers so far look very good. Um, very minimal long-term side effects are being um, found with the vaccine, um, especially the Pfizer variant. Um, the Moderna as well is, do, is also considered uh, relatively safe, especially long-term. Short-term, they have been some very isolated side effect related issues. But I think long-term um, is so far looking pretty good. And we have, again, uh, hundreds of thousands of people being observed now. So it's definitely, I think the data should be very reliable as far as um, the long-term effectiveness of it. That being said, I know some people are saying, I don't care what you're saying, Dr. B, I ain't interested. Screw the vaccine. And that's fine. Just wash your hands and don't breathe, old folks. And hopefully everyone's going to be fine. <laughs> but but no, nah, but seriously, it's definitely something that I think um, for those who are at risk, definitely should be getting vaccinated. If you're older, you have comorbidities like diabetes, um, cancer, um, some sort of illness where you're taking immunosuppressant medications, you're definitely someone who should be getting boosted and everything else. If you're a high-risk worker who's being exposed to people regularly um, and you um, you know want to stay healthy you definitely want to get uh, vaccinated um, so just so you can be there to help treat those who are getting sick because I've seen a lot of clinicians and uh, healthcare workers get sick and some of them can't work anymore from the side effects they got from their infection so it's, it's definitely a, a real thing guys so we'll, of course we'll be looking at this whole vaccine thing and just making sure you know we get all the data and try to look at it in a holistic way so we can make educated decisions. So, all right. So the next topic here is going to be an interesting one regarding hormone therapy. New data has actually come out um, saying that hormone therapy may actually reduce death and cancer risk in older women. And this is women over the age of 65. Um, and it's interesting because this has been a very controversial topic um, historically. Um, you know, those who follow this know that back in 20, 2002, um, there was a big study known as the Women's Health Initiative, where they looked at estrogen plus progestin, which is two popular hormones used um, to help with folks who want to, you know, take something when they go through uh, menopause, which is when, again, their, their natural hormones start to decline and they want to replace those to keep those, you know, feelings and sensations that they, you know, like. And, but unfortunately, there was concern about cancer being potentially associated with taking hormone therapy. This study that came out in 2002, kind of, there were some initial reports that led them to believe there was some increased risk of cancer. This led to a big kind of back and forth regarding estrogen therapy. But now it seems like looking back at that data and other studies that have been done and other things that have been analyzed, it sees that it seems that there is actually no increased risk when looking at hormone therapy, but a specific regimen. And what they found is that the people who were taking, so the people that were taking um, a certain type of hormone therapy actually did better 
and had significant, significant decreases in death and morbidity and mortality in various um, categories. So, well, so it was found that those who were actually taking estrogen without progestin were actually of, had the best benefit as far as reduction of all cancers, actually not, so not an increase, an actual reduction of all cancers. Um, and this includes breast cancer, lung cancer, endometrial cancer, colorectal cancer, ovarian cancer, all those reduced in those who were taking estrogen therapy without progestin. Now, um, and people who were using hormones, period, um, they had a rate of death less than those using nor hormones. And this is a rate of six people for every 1,000, as opposed to almost 13 out of 1,000 people who did not use hormone therapy. Again, those who died, as far as looking at the data in this study, again, uh, as far as the number here, um, they looked at, again, over 7 million women were looked at. Sorry, I missed that earlier. So 7 million people were analyzed. So this is pretty extremely powerful. This is why stuff like this becomes so valuable when you look at time and large numbers of people. 7 million people, records from 2007 to 2019. Um, these are people, women on Medicare, 65 years and older, right? Okay. So they found that after for every 1,000 women who were analyzed, 7 of those died compared to 13 of those who were some of those people who took hormones they died as opposed to 13 people per for every thousand died for those who are not on hormone therapy so again those who are on hormone therapy they almost lived twice and had, they had almost um almost 100 percent less percentage uh, risk of dying compared to those who were not on hormone therapy again almost half of the people for every thousand were actually able to stay alive compared to those who were not on hormone therapy so that's pretty impressive and this is looking at our hormones. Now, there were some hormone combinations that were better than others. However, it was found that those who were on estrogen without progestin actually did the best because they had the lowest reduction of all cancers and they had um, just a lower reduction of mortality and everything else. So it was pretty, pretty, pretty um, significant. Um, you know, now one thing that was also seen was that, um, you know, people who actually took estrogen and progestin therapy um, actually had increased risk of breast cancer. Both estrogen and progestin, as well as progestin by itself, both were related to an increased risk of breast cancer. Now, progestin is what we known as the, the pregnancy hormone, so it helps your body prep itself for pregnancy, um, and it actually stimulates the breast tissues, the uterus, and everything else. Um, so there's concern that progestin may be potentially linked with certain cancers. Um, but this study looking at 7 million women is pretty powerful. And it seems as if there may be some benefit in taking um, hormone therapy, specifically estrogen. Um, but again, this is very, you know, you know, still kind of in the research phase. And it's not really conclusive yet, but it's pretty darn close given the power of this study. Again, 7 million people's records were looked at to kind of come to these uh, data points. So, and uh, again, this, you know, study just funny enough has no authors or no official uh, funding, which is kind of odd as well. But this was published in a uh, Medscape.com, which is a very um, popular online research blog. So it was interesting just seeing how um, potentially there could be some benefit in older women taking hormone therapy, specifically estrogen. So, <clears throat> 
All right, guys, and uh, last but not least, there's an interesting story that came across my feed, and I was actually kind of, kind of felt it was apropos, given the fact it's summer, and everyone knows that these months, mosquitoes are always an issue. And um, you know, I have a lot of issues with mosquitoes personally because, again, I've actually had an issue in the past with malaria due to a mosquito bite, and uh, it was not fun. <laughs> so, and you look at mosquitoes in general, uh, mosquitoes are just a very annoying kind of they're literally useless i mean they don't actually do anything for the biological circle of life um, they just terrorize humans and uh you know kill people um in droves so it's something that i've always had a beef with and um yeah so <laughs> get a little personal here but no seriously so mosquitoes they've been some research done recently it's actually out of china a gentleman by the name of mr gong cheng they had a, a they researcher at, at a local facility there and they looked at they looked at mosquitoes and potentially how they could um you know how they work and and what makes them want to bite people and stuff and how do they um link or how do they go after certain people you know people some people could be at a party outdoor event and like someone's getting torn up by mosquitoes someone else is being completely ignored so it's something that we've known um as far as mosquitoes and what attracts them to certain people and it's always been alluded that smell may be the big thing as far as what makes mosquito want to come to a person. But there's, and we, you know this because sweet smelling things can sometimes, sometimes attract mosquitoes and certain, you know, items can repel mosquitoes with the same smell uh, concept. We know um, Off is a popular spray here that uses um, various chemicals to kind of repel mosquitoes by creating a noxious uh, scent. Um, and so looking at what repels and also what attracts them has been something researchers have been interested in because they want to figure out ways to help reduce their impact on human populations. So some researchers out of China actually had a pretty interesting uh, concept where they actually looked at, you know, mice that had been infected with a virus um, that mosquitoes are known to spread Zika. Um, so, and that's all mosquitoes really do, guys. They just spread viruses and pestilence to people. It's kind of why I have beef with them. But either way, researchers in this study, they actually looked at what kind of draws mosquitoes to their prey, if you will, what they, who they want to bite. And they figured that it was something related to the smell. So they actually looked at mosquitoes and they kind of let them... They put it, built a closed environment that had both mice that were healthy and mice that were infected with Zika. And they found that the mosquitoes were actually attracted to those mice that had already been infected, meaning that if you had gotten bitten previously and had Zika, the mosquitoes actually went toward those mice. Sorry, I hit the mic. The mosquitoes actually went toward the mice that already were infected, meaning that they were rebiting the same mice and they were actually, you know, actually preferring that. So you would think that if you had a mosquito in the room, right? Let's say you had a, like some viral bug like Zika, for instance, or malaria or something, right? The mosquito would actually prefer to go to the person that is already infected with Zika or malaria or whatever, as opposed to someone who's not been infected. And that's something that really wasn't understood before. So the researchers looked at this, they saw the mice that were infected. They noticed that mosquitoes were actually going back to the infected mice and rebiting them, as opposed to going to those mice that were healthy. And so it kind of puzzled them, like, what's going on with these infected mice? There must be something that the infection is releasing to attract the mosquitoes, right? So they actually looked at the air molecules that the sick mice were breathing, and they broke it down, and they found that there was a compound, um, uh, one of the chemicals that they discovered 
in the um, in the air of the um, infected mice um, section. And this molecule was known as acetophenone. So this is the actual, they feel, I guess the pheromone or the, or the scent that the mosquitoes were attracted to. Now, they saw that this acetophenone, the scent was actually 10 times higher in the air of the infected molecule, of the infected mice, as opposed to the uninfected mice. So, and they sure enough, they got this acetophenone, they isolated it, created it into a chemical, then they found that they painted it on on healthy mice or humans or whatever, and mosquitoes were going crazy. So, someone, anyone who smelt like this acetophenone, apparently just attracted the mosquitoes like nothing else. Now, the funny thing is that acetophenone is actually a very <laughs> common aromatic ketone that's actually used by perfumers because it smells like cherry and honeysuckle. So that cherry honeysuckle kind of scent is apparently what mosquitoes love. So, if you got some cherry flavored cologne or perfume and you're you know getting tore up by mosquitoes you have your reason and so you know this this um this acetophenone they said it smells like almonds and it has notes of cherry and all this so just be aware of that because uh, this scent is apparently what drives mosquitoes crazy and if they're you know coming at you because they love how you smell get prepared for a painful next few weeks so that's just the reality so it's just interesting that you know this study kind of helped them look at um what attracts mosquitoes, what scents mosquitoes prefer. Now, of course, this, you know, information is very useful because if you want to create like a trap or something or a way to, you know, you know, get mosquitoes diverted, you know, this scent may be an effective way to do that. Um, personally, I think that, you know, uh, looking at ways to eliminate mosquitoes is actually something that I agree is probably necessary, even though it sounds bad, but <laughs> mosquitoes aren't really helping people. But Maybe it's part of population control. I don't know. But either way, this study to me was fascinating. As someone who's dealt with skills all his entire life, especially if you're from West Africa or the South of the United States, mosquitoes are uh, everyday reality. And uh, understanding best, better ways to deal with them, I think, is always a good thing. So, um, again, research from this and other articles will be posted on our website. Um, currently, we're getting it, you know, on Facebook.com. Um, now, that being said, um, we are at the end of the show. If you have any questions or concerns, please don't hesitate to reach out. My email is drberryhealth at gmail.com. Again, that's drberryhealth at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at drberrymd. If you have any questions or concerns, reach out, email, Instagram, um, and, uh, you know, hell, send a letter if you want. <laughs> um, that being said... Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Connection podcast and radio show. For more information on ways to get healthy, please check us out. www.anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. Here you can re-listen to the show, check out older shows, and even further support the show by becoming a subscriber to the podcast. Please check us out today. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. And also, don't forget to follow Dr. Barry on Instagram at drbarrymd. Until next time, stay healthy.